Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Today's show is called Shellfish Harvesting for the Future. Maine's mudflats and shellfish populations are changing due to ecological stressors and climate change. On today's show, we'll hear about three towns, Goldsboro, Harpswell, and Brunswick, that are working hard to restore their mudflats. We'll find that Maine towns are eager to share information with each other and with the public about shellfish restoration projects because they all want to see these projects succeed. They want to boost our clam populations back up and provide opportunities for our shellfish industries to thrive once again. Before we get going, I wanted to let you know that today's broadcast was pre-recorded on February 22nd, so we won't be taking any calls. So our show today is actually the first in a series of three Coastal Conversations episodes about Maine's mudflats and the state's shellfish industry. Today we're talking restoration. March will be focused on local fisheries knowledge and environmental change, and the April show will dive into the economic side of shellfish, in particular markets and the seafood supply chain. All three broadcasts are based on longer webinars sponsored by the Maine Fishermen's Forum in lieu of its annual in-person event that was canceled due to the pandemic. You can follow the Maine Fishermen's Forum Facebook page for more information about upcoming webinars and events. Okay, so let's jump right into the webinar recording when I introduce my co-facilitator for the evening. Um, so before we introduce our guests themselves, the folks who are really doing the work on the flats, um, I did want to introduce uh, Dr. Bridie McGreevy, Associate Professor in the Department of Communications and Journalism and the Mitchell Center for Sustainability Solutions at the University of Maine. Bridie has long, long worked with shellfish harvesters in all kinds of different ways, supporting their efforts to restore their flats, documenting their perspectives, and coordinating programs that support mudflat restoration from Southern Maine to down East Maine. So I'm excited to sort of be working together with Bridie tonight to host this conversation. So Bridie, can I hand it over to you to help set the stage for what we're talking about? You can, and thanks so much, Natalie, for that introduction and, and the setup. And, and thanks to all the panelists and attendees for being here tonight, for this virtual shellfish focus day. I wanted to offer some framing for the conversation and the stories that we'll hear today because the story that we often hear about intertidal shellfish, and here I'm referring to clams, mussels, and oysters in particular, tends to emphasize all the problems that we're facing. And there are definitely many. Climate change is already having a negative impact on shellfish and communities. Warming ocean temperatures are causing changes in mudflat ecosystems and increases in predators like green crabs. 
Water pollution in some areas is also getting worse, and thousands of acres of mudflats are closed to clamming. And there are many social problems, too. It's getting harder and harder for clamors and other fishermen to ask, access the coast, in part because of gentrification. And rural communities continue to lack access to basic resources that they need, like internet and healthcare. And yet, <laughs> the stories that you're, you're going to hear tonight provide so much room for optimism and also many opportunities to get involved. You're going to hear stories from Brunswick, Goldsboro, and Harpswell about communities coming together to try and strengthen the future of shellfishing by growing clams and restoring intertidal mudflats. These and many other projects like them are helping all of us understand really what becomes possible when people collaborate to tackle some of the biggest problems that we face, like climate change and inequity. And so now let's hear from them about what this all means. Natalie, would you like to introduce our panelists? Great. Yeah, this is where it gets really fun. It's starting to talk to our guests. Um, so uh, our guests tonight include David Wilson, who's the chair of the Marine Resources Committee in Harpswell. Hi, David. Welcome aboard. Hello. How are you guys doing? Great. It's great to have you. And right next to you um, is Scott Moody, Jr., who's the vice chair of the Marine Resources Committee in Harpswell. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me on here. Great, it's great to have you. And then um, bumping down the coast a little bit, we have Dan Devereaux, who's the Coastal Resources Manager in Brunswick. Hi, Dan. Hi, Natalie, thanks for having us. Great to have you guys. Um, and then we're going much further down east, um, and I'd love to introduce Mike Pinkham, who's a shellfish warden in the town of Gouldsboro. Hi, Mike. Hi there, thanks for giving us a chance to put this on. Yeah, great to have you. And um, then we have Sarah Hooper, who's an education specialist at the Scudic Institute. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Natalie. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for letting us tell our stories as part of this. Great. I can't wait to hear it. Um, and then last but certainly not least, we have Bill Zellick, who's Education Research Director Emeritus at the Scudic Institute. Hi, Bill. Welcome aboard. Oh, Natalie. It's good to be here. Great. And uh, I think Bridie is going to launch us with a first round of questions for our guests tonight. Yeah, totally. So I think the question we all want to know as a starting point is, what are you all up to? <laughs> what are you working on? Who's involved? And what are you trying to accomplish in these projects? So why don't we start in Harpswell? We're about to hear from David Wilson, followed by Scott Moody Jr., both on the Harpswell Marine Resources Committee. But I wanted to give everyone a little context first so you can understand what they're talking about. Harpswell recently got some funding from the Maine Shellfish Restoration and Resilience Fund to help restore intertidal mudflats and clam populations that have been declining due to green crab predation and the impacts of climate change. David, Scott, and other volunteers from their town are growing quahogs, which is a hard-shell clam, rather than the soft-shell clams you usually get in a Maine fried clam dinner. So they're planning to use a floating tidal upweller to accelerate the clam's growth rate, and then they plan to seed those clams directly into Harpswell mudflats to try to boost the local population. What's an upweller? It's a system that moves seawater up and through a bed of shellfish to help them access nutrients as they filter feed. Okay, now let's hear David and Scott talk about the status of Harpswell's mudflat restoration projects and the experiments they're running with their upweller. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, Scotty will share what we uh, accomplished last year. Uh, and we, uh, it's kind of like an ongoing two-year project. So we were fortunate enough to get the funding last year and interested to see what takes place this year. Yeah, um, part of that funding was to fund our tidal groove and upweller. Um, we didn't get that in the water last year, but we've, we've got it pretty well constructed. And going forward, we're looking at, you know, testing that out and getting it working as well as possible. Um, we floated the cohogs last year again through the nursery stage and maintained them throughout the summer. And uh, the first week in November, we laid them down on the bottom for overwintering. And uh, about a week later, went back out with an aquavision camera and checked them out to see how they were setting. And everything seemed to look good. Um, at the end of it, we had about six and a half gallons of total product out of the half million seeds that we grew. And uh, probably 60% of those were four to six millimeters. We saw pretty significant growth considering what we were working with last year and let Dave take it over. This year, we have a couple details to, to address on the upwell. We'll be floating that as soon as we can. And we plan on picking a number of spots in town. We really want to focus our attention where there currently hasn't been any hard shell clams for quite a while. Um, and we want to do a variation of planting high and low and just, you know, run a little research behind our planting methods this year. And we're going to with, over the next two or three months, we're going to be picking a number of places we're going to be planting this cohog seed. Uh, and I'm hoping that we can cover uh, probably four or five different coves of the amount of seed we have going on right now. Um, the, the seed that we currently have is what we're going to be using to uh, research furthering, you know, plots that we can expand our resource and uh the seed that we have coming is what's going to be going into the upweller this season i mean usually using an upweller and capturing that peak temperature along with the nutrients in the water to feed them uh, you gain significant growth you know in the first year um where we have it located um it I think uh, we may have to move it closer to the mouth of this particular cove, and then we would we we would gain the required flow. I backed off at first. Um, like I said, we're gonna put the animals in there, or, or it might even start with something that's similar size, similar dense density, and see how it performs. Um, this is all still a learning process with us. Uh, I grew. Hard shell clams. I have no experience with the soft shells in an upweller, but in 2018, I built an upweller. Uh, we run it off solar. We ran it 2018 and 19. We had over a million animals in, in the upweller both years. And the farmer that I was doing it with had never used an upweller. He was literally blown away by the amount of growth he's seen in the first month and a half. Um, since then, he, he has built his own twice the size, uh, but a title driven upweller, you know, we're, we're not asking for the solar. Uh, we didn't have the funding to go with solar like mine. So our best, I felt our best opt was uh, a title driven. Um, 
I'd like to think that we have it figured out. Who knows? We may not. We're like I said, we're if we have to we plan on doing modifications to the upweller and, and moving the location if needed. Um that's really all I could say as far as like with the upweller. It's uh it's a project in its own, if you know, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm really excited about about it this summer and seeing how it performs because I think like I said it's I hope it's going to be Harpsol's tool, you know, from here on out, and hopefully we can build a couple more. Yeah, it it would it would definitely be beneficial for us, you know. I, I think it'd be a little bit lower on the maintenance side of it, and as well as the expense, you know, we're we're definitely looking at the factors, and that's why we want to try and get it out a little bit early, and you know, do more studying before we even bother to put the shellfish in there to see where we're at with flow and things like that. Personally, I know the difference between an upweller and if, if you can gain almost a year, uh, literally a season's growth uh, extra in the first year, then why not? Not only that, it's fun watching them grow. Well, that's, that's great as an introduction. I know you shared some photos that maybe we can pull up later in our conversation so you can refer to the upweller and, and the progress that you guys have made. Next, I want to hear from Dan in, in Brunswick. Now we'll hear from Dan Devereaux, who is the Coastal Resources Manager for the Town of Brunswick. Like Harpswell, fishermen and the Town of Brunswick are looking to restore the local mudflats. Here, too, they're focusing on growing cohawks, or hardshell clams. But rather than using an upweller, they're creating a floating shellfish nursery with the tiny clams growing in mesh bags placed inside floating wire cages. The system is different, but the goals of restoring the mudflats and the shellfish industry are the same. Um, I guess the evolution of our project started around 2011, 2012. Um, Prior to that, the town of Brunswick had a pretty robust shellfish population. Um, we were uh, consistently one of the top uh, three shellfish towns in the state uh, for many years when it came to shellfish. And in 2011, 2012 hit, um, and we all know uh, what that brought. That brought the um, uh, European green crabs further north and really um, exploded and decimated our popul- populations of soft shell clams which can be witnessed by the landings, um, you know, in the previous years or the years after. Um, so when we experienced that and lost um, upwards of 20 fishermen um, because we weren't able to license them because we didn't have the inventories that supported them, the commission uh, at the local level started to think a little bit differently um, and what they had noticed was an uptick of uh, cohog populations. Um, so they really focused their effort on moving cohogs around town, relaying um, adult cohogs here and there and where they had known uh, where there were cohogs. And so um, with that said, you know, a few years down the road, um, the Quahog landings grew exponentially, um, which which led the commission, uh, the Marine Commission, to think more along the lines of working to propagate um, hard shell clams in um, as part of resilience for climate change and ocean warming waters, 
creditors and there's a little bit of research out there. So we applied for funding and, and got it through the Maine Shellfish Resilience Fund. So um, this is the, the second year that we bought hatchery seed. Um, and what we're doing is similar to what the town of Harpswell is doing um, with their floating uh, upweller or their tidal upweller, um, trying to grow out quahog seed. When you talk to the people that are, are really good at growing quahog seed, which are a little bit south of here, of us, of down around the Cape and then the Chesapeake, um, uh, they, they're pretty adamant that quahog seed needs to reach 15 millimeters before you plant it. Um, and so my objective uh, when we drew the grant up here in the town of Brunswick was to was to offer that uh, and see if we could grow that out in one growing season in a floating nursery, which is standard aquaculture equipment, float bags with little tiny shellfish at the surface uh, throughout the growing season. And hopefully, you know, they grow. Um, we certainly got a lot of growth uh, through uh, this project. Um, but we didn't get uh, the average up to anywhere near 15 millimeters. We went from two millimeters to an average of around 10, 10 and a half millimeters. So um, we needed to sink them in down for the winter time because obviously you need to have a place to store them, sink them down, bring them back up. I mean, and, and then hopefully grow them a little bit more this summer and then plant them with the harvesters. Um, and throughout that process, it's quite a bit of work, um, what we've learned. So um, I'll be excited to talk more about that, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much here, but um, no, it's a, uh, it's a great project and I have a great confidence in it um, at this point. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. Today's show is all about restoring Maine's mudflats. We're listening to portions of a recent webinar featuring three Maine towns and their efforts to grow clams and reseed clam flats to help boost local populations. The third project we're featuring today, this one much further down east in the town of Gouldsboro, is building a community shellfish lab to grow the baby shellfish. The focus here is on softshell clams rather than quahogs. This effort engages students and community members at every step of the way, and the local leaders are developing methods to help towns grow their own shellfish. We'll hear first from Mike Pinkham, the shellfish warden from the town of Gouldsboro, and then Bill Zellick and Sarah Hooper, both from the Skudik Institute, one of the Gouldsboro partners on this project. Here's Mike Pinkham. I'm going to talk first. Um, this is Mike Pinkham, shellfish warden. Um, and lead you up to where we are currently. Early on, when I got appointed the shellfish warden after spending time on the flats and talking to the diggers, I realized that the resource, the clam resource had been depleted and you've already touched on it due to uh, global warming and green crabs. So we were purchasing in the first couple of years I was a shellfish warden there, we purchased seed from DEI and it was costing us uh, $2,500 for 100,000 of seed that we could put right on the flats in the spring. And with the small um, group of folks that we have diggers here, um, that takes a lot of money right out of our budget. So, and we had done some other projects when we did that, it was successful, but we had to find a way to make it 
more um, cost effective. So I started talking and I talked to the folks at DEI, which is Down East Institute, and they suggested trying to overwinter the clams. And so I, so we met with those folks and then I came back to the shellfish committee and we uh, told them what we had talked to DEI about and they were very excited because with us buying smaller clams, two millimeter clams and growing them out ourselves and overwintering them for that $2,500, we could buy a lot more clams instead of a hundred thousand, we could get, you know, 300,000. And we just had to do the work to put them on the mud. So they were very excited about that possibility. And one of the things that we've done in Gooseboro is we've involved our students and they wanted that to continue. The students had helped us on some of our projects and they definitely wanted to involve the students in that process. Um, so then we had, we applied for some grants and we got a, we got a grant from the uh, Maine Shellfish Restoration Resilience Grant. We got a Maine Community Fund Grant and we got a Scudder Community Fund Grant. Well, we had grants in hand. We had proposed to use a 10 by 12 building that we could move on a piece of town owned property. Um, that didn't work out. So we already had our grants after submitting our proposal. And so then we were in the hunt for some more, another location to put our lab. Well, two other pieces of property were offered to us and then that fell through. Early on in the process, I had spoken to Dana Rice of DB Rice Fisheries, and he had his building at his lobster buying station, and he told us that we could use that building. So I went back to Dana, and he's very involved in the town. Actually, he happens to be the first selectman in the town of Gooseboro. And I told him that if he didn't mind, that we would like to use his building to set this lab up. And he told me to do whatever we needed to do to the building and that he would give us a hand in any way possible. So that allowed us to have a location. The next thing that happened is we had to redesign and rethink of what we would, our lab would look like. Instead of going from an eight by 12 or a 10 by 12, we had much more space. And in that building was a tank that's approximately 14 feet long um, and four feet wide that we could use to put our clams in. And we were only talking about an exactic. So that brings us to today. So we're still trying to work out how the lab is gonna be laid out, but I'm happy to report as of today, I just came back and we've started construction. We did some demolition and we've started um, putting strapping up to sheathe the walls, et cetera. So that's where we're at. Well, I'll follow up with what i uh, say a little bit more about it. Uh, Skudik Institute started working with Goolsboro about four years ago on, on this project. And uh, initially it was, our role was to really hook into schools and uh, Sarah will say more about that. But so we've, we've been through a process with the town of, of watching resource uh, get in trouble and, and then we've been involved in trying to, to uh, help the town and have the kids help the town with, with, uh, with this new project, which is sort of to build a, a shellfish lab. We don't have 
claw hogs. We don't have hard shell clams around Goolsboro. And so the, the things that the other folks are talking about aren't options for us yet, although, you know, maybe in the future. So we're, what we're talking about is still soft shell clams. And um, they're a little different in, term, in terms of, of, of what you can do and, and, and what's possible. There are really three things that, that we're trying to do uh, that we're, we're wanting, of course, to, to see if we can develop a, a community scale way to, to grow from small seed and, and you know, a millimeter two up to, uh, in this case, about a half inch is where we can get them and, and then put them in the mud again. This is soft shell clams. Um, the second thing is we want to collect data about how we do this and, and everything, costs, the whole bit, so that we can actually do the third thing, which is share it with other communities. So, so the purpose here is to, is to look at the first off, does it work? But then the second is, well, does it make any economic sense? Do the numbers work? And if we can figure those things out, then other towns can, can do it too. So those are the goals. Um, very briefly, uh, for, for those that aren't familiar with how clams go through the year, for us, the key thing is, is it's a one-year cycle, hopefully, uh, where we start with, with new, new, new clams, newly hatched clams that are really microscopic, uh, and we grow them out over an initial summer, uh, and that's where the growth period is. Our initial plan was to just float them in trays up out on the water in a lobster pound that's some protected so, so that seagulls and others don't get at them. And then the real problem is other folks are talking about is, okay, yeah, that's fine. Now you've got half inch clams, but you've got to keep them alive through the winter before you can use them for the next year. And so our, our big focus was initially, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you uh, keep them alive? Um, when we ended up finally in this larger building, larger than we figured, we began realizing that we could actually do some other things. And, and one of them is actually grow them in upwellers inside the building during the summer. And this is what other folks were talking about, really trying to get more growth more quickly. So those are things, we'll run it both ways, but we've got, again, the, the purpose is to try a couple of things that other towns might try, collect data um, and compare uh, things. And this is where the kids kids can come in and, and, and help us with the numbers. Um, just, I guess that's really pretty much it. Uh, the, the big thing is to not just how does it work and how much growth do we get, but also we'll be monitoring electricity, all of the construction costs. We'll be looking at the labor that's involved and, and, and trying to make sure that other towns have really got a, a picture of what they're getting into uh, before they get into it. I'll turn it over to Sarah. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Mike, for kind of getting getting our project started. Um, what I want to talk a little bit about is is what Bill Bill alluded to is this idea of, of having the community and the students involved. Um, and so we really we really do think this lab creates a lot of opportunities for our community and and as well as other communities being involved in, in a lot of different ways. And so the first thing would be getting the students involved or having students involved in in the lab and. Um, we, we, as we've been working with, with the town of Goldsboro in the past, what we've seen is students becoming part of their community. They're actually contributing to the community and the community is contributing um, to the learning of the students. And so this just build, keeps building on that in, in really important ways. And, and what it 
creates is a system where, where the learning really matters. The learning matters to the students. The kids are doing real life learning uh, with real life solutions and the community is supporting that and they're involved in that and benefiting from it. So it, it becomes a, a really neat um, interplay between both the, the community and the students themselves. So since we're really just getting things started and gearing up, we want to start with hiring, hopefully hiring a college intern this summer to, to help kind of maintain and operate the lab, doing some of the um, keeping the, clam, the seed clams healthy by you know, doing the cleaning of the upwellers or cleaning in the nursery trays, so kind of that day-to-day that -day operations. Um, but also starting to, to do some of the research that we feel like we need to do. So the economics, the survival and growth. And so, you know, these are where students can be part of that, that the science and data collection for the town. And then um, as we get things going, we start getting more of the pieces in play. We want to help involve, or we want to start involving high school and middle school students in different aspects of the lab so that they're contributing as well and that they're learning as well. We really want it to be a learning lab. Um, and, and while we're doing this right now in the town of Gouldsboro, we want to have our local school districts involved. We see this as an opportunity for other communities and to partner with their schools and learn from it as well. And so then it, then they can take that back to their communities and whether they do exactly what we're doing or whether they just kind of look at that kind of partnership, um, we just, we see it, we, we want it to be a model in that way. Uh, and the other cool thing about it is, is it's become, a, there's a role for, for all members of the community. So not just students, but we've had such a positive response from people wanting to help support the lab itself and, and as well as the students involved in it. And so, um, you know, as Mike said, from, from the donation of the building and some of the equipment, um, we, we've had people that have offered to come help with the construction and, and, and do some of the work we need to get the building set up and get it going. And, and we're really grateful for all of that. Um, and, and what's cool about that is then it really becomes a community project. And this is Friday, kind of what you were talking about at the beginning. It, it becomes this community project. It's not just a restore clam flats for the clamors project or a, a student school project. Uh, it's a community project and everybody's invested in it. And, um, and so as we really look to the future of our coastal communities and, and the intertidal, we, we hope we want people to, to, to know what's going on in their community, especially as it's all changing. The resources are changing, the people in our communities are changing, and we want people to understand that. Um, we want them to understand it's not, it's not just mud out there in the intertidal. It's, it's, it's a really important resource um, and that um, we all really come together and, and build the resilience. So the resiliency of the clan flat, but also the resiliency of the community, and then, and then really helping the youth to feel a part of that, to feel a part of the community, feel a part of the solutions. Um, so we really see a lot of potential, both for the, both for the community involvement and the youth engagement in the lab. And and Nate, I, you see, I get like super excited about all of that. I like it's really exciting piece of it. Yeah, thank you, and thank everybody. Um, and that, that excitement, I think, is the perfect segue to this next question, which we're going to pose as an open question. We're really hoping um, that we'll be able to move into a conversation. Um, so you know, anyone who feels inspired to respond to this next question, please feel free to do so. But as I'm listening to all of you talk about your projects, it's just so clear that you've invested a huge amount of time and energy and heart into this work and that it's exciting. And as David said, it's fun to watch the clams grow. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, why do these projects matter to you personally? How did you get involved? You know, why, why do you care about this work in the ways that you do? I can start that conversation. Um, well, I started... Uh, working in the shellfishing industry about 30 years ago. Um, and the changes that I've seen um, 
over that time uh, as being a warden, I guess you get paid. I, I retired after 23, 23 years as a warden, similar to what Mike has done his entire professional career. We get paid to make observations and, uh, you know, or making, observing all the changes over the time and the, the decline and the, the, the harvest and the loss of licenses um, really drives a passion inside of me to try to create something that's sustainable and, and actually bolster um, uh, what was there previously. So, um, I mean, that's, that's really what drives me. Um, and I live in the community that I work in. Um, I'm not a fisherman, I work for the town. Um, but uh, I still have a, a lot of passion uh, to see the success of our local fishermen. It's a really unique program that the state of Maine has. Um, I think we're one of two states left in the, in the coastal nation where the local municipalities actually um, play a really big role in the co-management of their intertidal zones. So that's, that's really special when you look at all the other coasts. So um, that's why that's that's what drives me to do what I do, and of course the importance of uh, shellfish being a keystone species in the in the nearshore ecosystem is 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 quite uh, uh, an enthusiastic push for me as well. Hey, uh, this is Dave Wilson. Uh, yeah, I I owe a lot to uh, the resource and shellfish harvest, and particularly I do a a number of other fisheries, but. When I moved into Harpswell when I was 20 years old, I lived at a friend's house in a spare room. Now I own a $300,000 home and, you know, things are looking good. And I, I grasped that opportunity of being a shellfish harvester. It, it's a piecework title and it's just like the, the, the more effort you put into it, the more you're going to gain. And I, I feel that everybody you know, deserves an opportunity like that. And, you know, to, to, to see what Harpsville used to be, what, what it once was and what it is now, I never thought I'd see a day like that. If I can attest to the soft shells, um, I wish so bad we still had soft shells and abundance of them here in Harpsville. We've explored every, you know, enhancement practice, everything you could think of to enhance the resource here in soft shells. And I think they're, uh, well, what we're witnessing is a species that isn't given the time to adapt to climate change. And that's why there's more of them being seen, you know, in north of us, because they're, I don't know, I, I won't, I think it's the, the, at the spawning stage, the, you know, at that point in their life, they're more vulnerable to, to the elements. And, and there's this, the acidity, the, the rise in the, carbon in the ocean and you compile all that and it's it's not a good recipe for a larval soft shell plant for, for for me personally i i i also live here year-round you know, this, this is my home uh and uh i see a community that's changing and uh and uh, one of the 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 things that I think it's important for about Goolsboro is that it's a fishing community, always has been a fishing community. And um, part of what Sarah was talking about, about getting people who are now newly moving into the community and I'm potentially changing the community is really 
getting them involved personally in terms of uh, getting getting out in the mud, getting your hands dirty, and and understanding what this place is all about, and 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 feeling like well, that they're part of it rather than than that they're that they're something something different. And so that's part of it. And then of, I'm an educator. I'm, I'm certainly not a, a, a clam scientist, though. I've, I've learned some things about them, but but uh, really trying to make sure that kids both understand where where it is that they're growing up, what's going on there, but also making sure that they understand that there's a livelihood here and that there's a, a whole range of livelihoods in these communities. You don't have to go away. So so those kinds of things are all pretty high on on my list. I could add something. What got my, what got me into uh, being excited about this is when I started talking to DEI and we started doing projects um, with the plant pots just to see what clam growth and survival rate, et cetera. And then I realized that we tied in with, with uh, Skodik Institute and Bill brought a lot of educational experience. I'm not an educator. I've been a professional law enforcement officer my whole life. I don't know anything else. And viewed this as a challenge to try to improve the clam flats in the town of Gooseboro. I started out digging clams when I was in elementary school and through college and high school, uh, high school and uh, college, excuse me. So, and I can certainly see a difference from the clamming back then to now. And I'm in a position where we brought it up to the harvesters in town and they were excited about it too. And as I said, when I initially spoke that we get to involve the community and the students and they wanted very much focus on getting the students so that the students from these communities that support Gooseboro understand where they come from and what it is that Gooseboro has to offer as a fishing community. Hey, and if I could just, I'm going to fill them from what everyone said just a little bit more. I'll just take it because I'm an educator and I, and I will, I'm fairly new to the community and it's only taken me a short while of working with Bill and Mike and being a part of this community to see how important it is um, and to, to recognize what's happening in the community. And, uh, and then from an education standpoint, I just feel like having students really be involved in real world issues is, is such an important learning experience that, that for them to, I think we're preparing students for a future that, that we don't even really know what it's gonna be. We, we've got some projections, we've got some ideas, we're trying some things. And so we need to prepare these kids to be problem solvers and, and and the project that we're doing in Gouldsboro, what I'm so excited about is we don't have the answers. And oftentimes in school, kids, we give them the answers. We're like, we want you to just figure out the right answer. And this is an opportunity for us to say to them, we don't know the answers and you are gonna help us figure them out. And I think that kind of learning experience for students is what is gonna set them up to be our future leaders, to, to get out there and be our future community members. Um, because I think if they don't start learning those those problem solving skills now, it's going to be harder. You know, they're going to be hit with these things in the future. And um, so this is just getting getting them kind of getting them hooked and getting them started early in their, their years. That was Sarah Hooper from the Scudic Institute. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. Today's show is all about restoring Maine's mudflats. 
In addition to Sarah Hooper, we've also been hearing from Bill Zellick of the Skudik Institute and Mike Pinkham, the shellfish warden from the town of Gouldsboro. And from Brunswick, we've been talking with Dan Devereaux, who is the town's coastal resource manager. And finally, from Harpswell, we're hearing from David Wilson and Scott Moody Jr., the chair and co-chair, respectively, of the Harpswell Marine Resources Committee. We're not taking any calls today because this episode of Coastal Conversations is actually rebroadcasting portions of a recent webinar hosted by the Maine Fishermen's Forum in lieu of their in-person event that got canceled due to the pandemic. So let's get back to it. Several of you have referred a little bit to Maine's unique way of managing our clam flats. Um, Dan, especially, you talked about it. And um, I wondered if one of you or two of you could just kind of take a crack at explaining for folks how um, our collaborative clam flat management happens sort of in partnership between the state and the towns. Some of you are town employees. Some of you are on shellfish committees in your town. So um, maybe, Dan, can I put you on the spot to give a quick overview of how shellfish management happens? Are you the right person? <laughs> I can give it a shot. Right. <laughs> um, so um, Maine is unique in terms of the fishing following navigation laws, um, number one. Um, number two, the shellfish management program is a co-management system set up with the, with the Department of Marine Resources, which is a state agency uh, that oversees all of the marine resources. And um in that co-management system, um, the town has a function and they usually function through what's called a model ordinance, um, which is an ordinance that um, the town has established using guidelines provided by the state um, uh, that uh, uh, establishes the number of licenses and, and um, establishes when and where flats can be dug and, and, and so on and so forth. And then it's reviewed by the state and approved. Um, so that's how the co-management system works here. Um, so I hope that explains it a little bit, but it's really a hand in hand. You, you have to work with the Department of Marine Resources uh, on most everything that we do, include, including uh, providing annual reports, budgets, um, any type of survey work now the Department of Marine Resources asks for. Um, so they can build databases as well and also oversee the program. And I must say that Dennis Nall, who um, has been working there for probably a decade or so now, um, is a true Mainer um, and does an incredible job um, uh, managing all the, the stuff that he has to do uh, under the guidance of Cole Camlet. So um, the state allows us to use their uh, their expertise um, to some extent. Uh, they have biologists that are assigned um, throughout the state um, based on region. Um, we often here in Brunswick are tapping the biologists for like, we see this, we see that. Um, well, you know, what, any suggestions here? Um, do you want to come out and do this with us? Um, we we want to show you this area. So I'm assuming that that being a larger town and tapping them, they're probably even getting tapped a little bit more from the smaller municipalities. So um, that's sort of how the co-management system works. The only thing I'd like to say that Dan did a very good job covering it, but there are over 70 municipalities that have a municipal shellfish ordinance in the state of Maine. I think it's like 72 or 73. So that's 
a lot municipalities managing it or in a title zone. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, hopefully that provides a little bit of context for folks who aren't as deeply steeped in all things shellfish. Um, a question for, for all three towns here. Um, what, so for a town shellfish committee that might be thinking about getting into restoration projects, but just don't really know where to even begin, um, how, what would you recommend as, as good ways to get started? I'll jump in on that one. Talk to, talk to uh, Dr. Beal and his staff, Kyle Pepperman. I've rang the phone off and talked to Kyle more times. And in fact, Bill and I met with uh, Dr. Beal a couple of weeks ago in person. So they are a great, great wealth of knowledge. Everything that they're doing is on a larger scale than a municipality would do. But they certainly got the ideas because they started out small before they got as big as they are now. Mike mentions a couple scientists, Dr. Brian Beal and Kyle Pepperman, who are with DEI. DEI is the Downeast Institute, the marine science field station connected to the University of Maine at Machias. It's based in Beals Island, Maine, and many towns throughout the state buy small shellfish from DEI to use in their mudflat restoration projects. DEI serves as a resource for many towns. I would add to that, uh, Dan's already mentioned the tremendous resource that the Department of Marine Resource regional biologists are, but get in touch with your DMR regional biologist and, and begin finding out what, what's going on and what the issues are. And um, I will say that with the 73-ish municipal uh, municipalities, they vary quite a bit in terms of what their focus is and in terms of how they operate. So certainly getting to know something about your local shellfish committee and understanding who's in it and how it works would be really important. Yeah, sorry, if I may add, uh, I think the most important thing a, a volunteer could do is become a sponge of information. Um, we're like, like uh, evolve, you know, our management has to evolve with this climate change and common practice no longer works. Has, it hasn't worked for us with the soft shells. That's why we've directed more attention towards the hard shell. Uh, we've seen such an influx in predation that uh, I'm really hoping that it doesn't roll over onto the hard shells as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the most important thing I could tell to anybody is just become a sponge, get in, in touch with whoever you can and find out what's maybe working for this town or that town. But you also have to keep in mind with the ever-changing temperatures in the ocean that what worked last year may not work this year. I don't know. I think it's you got to be you got to be as broad as you can and, and as open as you can, and be willing to to try, you know, uh, explore every avenue in in the management practice. I, I agree. Um, like the good fisherman says, it's hard telling, not knowing, right? So, you know, uh, I think you get involved at the local level and, and, um, and connect with the area fishermen um, and the local shellfish committees to really connect with the, with the fabric that holds the industry together in Maine. Um, and that's really where the, you know, the, the metal meets the meat and the work is done. 
Um, Dennis Knoll and, and his team of biologists are a great resource as well. Um, and the, the DMR has some great online resources. If you go onto their shellfish management program uh, page and you, and you can, you know, it's, 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 it's really good information. So if a person wants to, they can certainly uh, find avenues to, to get involved. I think you've all spoken to this, but just to emphasize this point a little bit more and maybe um, point to the, the specific opportunity for getting involved, many of these towns meet on a monthly basis, some a little bit more frequently, some a little less frequently. Um, and I'll never forget the first shellfish committee meeting I went to. It was in a town hall in Lemoyne in Frenchman Bay. Um, I was there with a group called the Frenchman Bay Partners, part of um, doctoral work I was doing. And I stepped into a world that I didn't even know existed, where people were coming together, clamors, um, administering this ordinance, doing conservation work, trying to sustain this resource, um, getting out on the mudflats together, being in some of the most beautiful places in the world. And, you know, getting involved in that space for me personally has, has been very meaningful. I mean, it's changed what I think about, the kind of research that I do, the relationships. Um, and so figuring out, you know, when does your shellfish committee meet on a monthly basis and where and how could you show up and start listening to what's going on in those spaces and getting involved is, is really a great adventure. I was just going to say, Brady, it ties back to the question that you asked early on, and it was just what is it that keeps us engaged and gets the juices flowing? Why are we doing this? And um, just adding on to what you said this is so local this is uh you know this, this is also so main this is what just speaking what dan was sort of saying so it's like a town meeting or something it really is something where it's it's folks in the community trying to look after what it is that they've got it so it's 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 good work um I was just going to hop on and um, just check in with our speakers. If you guys have any questions for each other, you guys are from very different towns across the coast. Um, Harpswell and Brunswick, you're a little bit closer to each other and maybe you talk offline. But um, what, what are you curious about knowing from each other as your as your projects advance and what what sort of lessons learned do you think you can learn from each other? I'll start again because I'm excited about the Gouldsboro project actually. Um, uh, having a little self-sustaining community lab is really um, something that, uh, uh, that uh, myself and the, our school department has talked about on numerous occasions. Um, so it'll be really interesting uh, to watch um, the project develop um, and uh, I don't have any questions now, but um, I can guarantee you that I'll have questions in another year. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm very excited for, you know, what you guys are doing and, and would love to see you guys get the ball rolling and for, especially for this season. Um, I, I wish we had the same here in Harpswell, but I think, I think more people you get involved, people that have never even thought about fishing or, or commercially harvesting shellfish for a livelihood. I think that could possibly change some minds and get more people involved, more people that are willing to do exactly what you guys are doing. And good and 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 good luck. I yeah, I wish the best. I I'd like to help you in any way. 
I think that's what's so exciting about this is the the openness between the different communities to to work with each other. And and Dan, I want to pop it right back at you because um, you know we in in this project in bringing the schools in, you've had a longer relationship with the schools, and it can be as we've talked about. It's lots and lots of potential, but it can also be tricky. And so. Um, just keeping the communication open um, to, to see what do these partnerships look like with schools, how you sustain the, the school community partnership, I think will all be really important conversations as we go forward. Yeah, I'd like to say that I think that with us, uh, the, the communities are sitting here talking at this webinar right now, it's very important. I've learned some things of interest that um, from the other two um, groups here um, in Everybody is trying things and, and it's already been said that what works in Eastern Maine may not work in mid coast or Southern Maine, but we can sure give each other a place to start. And it's very exciting to have these connections. I've known, I've known Dan for years, but you know, just seeing Scott and David and hearing their enthusiasm about that project reaffirms that, you know, we are doing the right thing in getting our community involved in this is a way to do it by bringing folks on to this webinar and listening to and maybe getting some enthusiasm worked up between them like we have amongst ourselves. And thanks. It's we're trying like, yeah, this is our third year into it, but we're trying to shed some light on, you know, what what we what we could potentially do with the hard shell. Um, and I know in 2016 I had as a group of students from the Harpsville Charter Coastal Academy, the elementary, one of the elementary classes, they came down and we were uh, deploying some two millimeter screening to ward off predation from the ribbon worms. That's been such an influence here in Harpsville since geez, 2008, 2009. We've had such an influx in the, in the ribbon worms and that's been one of our biggest nemesis when it comes to the soft shell clams and the interest that a lot of these kids had and i think there was only one of them there that you know was familiar with title flats i mean we had a hard enough time just getting them out there and i think everybody in the group fell down but it, it was fun and they all had fun and i know they left you know with with some really good impressions uh in it but i i would like to see more students involved in 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 the management process uh Right, you know, our, our management and some of the practice that municipalities are given with our management really dictates how many licenses a, a municipality can issue for people to go out and harvest. Arbshall has a good number of harvesters, but all but 10% of those have sought out alternative sources of income because of the decline in our resources. And I, I think uh, I, I, we want more than anything to get those you know, get them back and and just in, enhance their resources and, and hopefully, who knows, you know, a couple of years from now, be issuing more licenses to individuals that, you know, are, are interested and do want to get involved. Yeah, I'd like to just add, like, you know, one of, one of the big factors we're taking in is that we've seen the decline in uh, soft shell clam over the past few years. And that we're seeing this incline in our landing reports for the hard shell clams and being able to figure out what things we can do to help enhance that, I, I think is great. Uh, something I really wanna look at is 
trying to pick out some of the variables as far as like peak temperatures, spawning temperatures, and things that we could use to compare like to like the Massachusetts systems and maybe be able to pick uh, towns that we could use, you know, to, to run some comparisons on and on their peak temperatures and when they started seeing a decrease in their, you know, landings, if nothing more. I think that would be something really useful that we could do. All right. Well, it seems like we are pretty much winding down now then. Um, thank you so much to all, particularly our attendees, the folks who have chimed in and listened to, the, to, to this whole conversation. Um, it's been great to have all of your questions. We got to most of them, or at least touched on the themes of most of them, I hope. Um, and an especially large thank you to all of our participants. So just to remind everybody, we've been talking with David Wilson, who's the chair of the Marine Resources Committee from Harps Harpswell, and Scott Moody Jr., who's the vice chair of the Marine Resources Committee from Harpswell. We've been talking with Dan Devereaux, coastal resources manager from Brunswick, with Mike Pinkham, the shellfish warden of Goldsboro, with Sarah Hooper, the education specialist at the Skudik Institute, and with Bill Zellick, the education research director emeritus from the Skudik Institute. Um, we've also been chatting with Bridie McGreevy from the University of Maine and the Mitchell Center for Sustainability Solutions at the University of Maine. Um, if you wanted to get information about when the Shellfish Day number two and Shellfish Day number three will be held both in webinar form and in radio form. Remember to just hop on to the Maine Fisherman's Forum Facebook page. That will give you all of the latest announcements. And I think with that, um, we are done. Thank you, everybody. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. And we also encourage you to listen to our sister program, Talk of the Towns, with host Ron Beard from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good weekend.